Apartments.com believes a dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because you just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but when you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit apartments.com, the place to find a place. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome back to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, Is. Hi, Em. It's so crazy to do a non-BravoCon recap. Like I know we've only done one, but it just feels like my entire life was revolving around that. I can't believe BravoCon was last week. Like I can't believe I've only been living in a post-BravoCon world for one week. And if you didn't listen to that episode, I just cannot recommend it enough. I've listened back and laughed even though I was there. No, it was like we were reliving it. It's also so crazy that we were just there. And then in both this week's Beverly Hills and last week's Kardashians, they were in Vegas. So I felt like I was really reliving our time in some ways. It was like nostalgic for Vegas. I know. It's like Vegas came into our lives in such a way. And I'm just trying to go back. And she's not going anywhere. She's not going anywhere. No, no, no. She's here to stay. Okay, so obviously we dedicated last week's episode to the full BravoCon recap, and we didn't touch on any of the episodes from last week. This week, we're not going to recap those, but of course, in our discussion of this week's episodes, I'm sure we will reference some things that were missed last week. As a total side, I just have to say, I don't know if you saw this or if you guys saw this, but separate from Giselle talking about this on her podcast, there was a clip from BravoCon where... Dorit's on the red carpet doing an interview. And in the middle of the interview, Lisa Barlow comes up to her. And the interviewer is like, no, 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 it's fine. Come in. And Lisa says to Dorit, did you hear our commercial is up for an award? And Dorit looks at her like she has five heads, like truly is so confused at the entire thing. And you see Lisa in very Lisa Barlow fashion, like, no, 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 we did a commercial together telling the interviewer and it's up for an award. And and Dorit is like, oh, you know, that's so wonderful. And that's it. And I watch this clip and I say to myself, there is no fucking way that Dorit knew who she was talking to. Like, I understand Lisa saying they did this haunted house commercial together, but Dorit doesn't know. And then Giselle is on her Reasonably Shady podcast with Robin telling Robin that Lisa came up to her and says to Giselle, because the three of them were in the commercial together, Dorit has no idea who I am. She's like, I just went up to Dorit to tell her that our commercial is up for an award. And she looked at me with a blank stare. <laughs> and <laughs> Wait, that's hilarious. No, no, I have to, I'll put the link in the description to, to their episode because I had seen that clip separately and I was like, Dorit has no fucking idea who this is. And then for Giselle to say that that's exactly what Lisa said to her, I lost it. That is so funny, but that I think is a perfect anecdote to like summarize BravoCon. Like yes. that's the kind of like drama and interactions and just funny shit that is going on at all times that you actually can't even keep track of. And I feel like moments like that are going to continue to 
seep out of the weekend for months. Like it's not over. I think every single housewife that goes on Watch What Happens Live probably for the rest of the year will have something funny like that to share. Well, first of all, we saw the comment that Olivia from Southern Charm left about Crystal saying that she felt that Crystal was rude in response to Crystal saying some of the other Bravo loves were rude. And then we saw Danielle on Watch What Happens saying that her and Joe Bradley from Southern Hospitality had a little fling. I mean, I am sure what we saw and what we heard is just the tip of the iceberg because as far as I'm concerned, it was Joe Bradley and Adriana that, that were maybe going to have a little thing based on how cozy they were at the at the Bravos. I know. I I love that people actually hook up too. You know, it's like not just a funny bit. It's like people legit hook up because it's summer camp, frat party, gone wild. Just a lot. I will never be tired of BravoCon content. And I'm sure in the coming weeks, more things will come out. But getting into this week, so much to say. You want to start with Beverly Hills? I do. Beverly Hills is really good. It's really good this season, right? It's really good. And I actually want to start it off because this was the tone in which I kind of like watched the episode. Gibson had tweeted when there was a clip from Bravo like showing Kyle and Sutton's fight before the episode came out tonight. He said, Kyle fights with Sutton like she's one of her sisters and it's fascinating to me. And I think that is the most true statement I've ever heard. The way she speaks to Sutton both last week and this week and fights with her is like her sisters. And I don't know if I would expect that because it's not like I ever think of them as that close, but the way that she treats them and her method of fighting is like exactly like she fights with Kim and some of what we've seen with Kathy. Well, I think that Sutton gets under her skin in a very unique way. Yeah. To be honest, I... Okay. This is one of those things where it's like we're recording the episode immediately after watching, so I don't know what other people are saying. And I and also in order to have this conversation, we have to briefly touch on last week, which is like, I'm sorry. I thought that whole thing that Sutton did at Magic Mike was just fucking bizarre. And I understand this week and even on Watch What Happens tonight, she's saying, listen, it wasn't like I was making this whole scene and wanting people to run after me. It was their thing that they ran after me. And it was Kyle's prerogative to come find me. I didn't ask them to miss the show, which like, okay, understandable. But also if no one had gone after her, in my opinion, the response would have been, and I was upset and no one even cared. Like, I, I, I don't know. I feel like sometimes I'm in this minority because I feel that a lot of the times Sutton is praised for every single thing that she does. And I just can't get on board with some of those things. I find it so bizarre. The reason that this is all so bizarre is not necessarily because she stormed out in a huff and was so offended. Like, you know, in theory, like, If you had told me that, I probably would say that's not the craziest thing. I could maybe see that coming. But it was the lead up to it. It was how excited Sutton seemed and how she was like almost going above and beyond to prove that she was so down with this and that I'm wearing pants. I brought pants. I bought a stack of singles. I'm ready to go. Maybe trying to like prove them wrong about her and kind of I don't know, like reverse the stereotype about Sutton that she would be so buttoned up and not into this and like want to get on stage and want to be one of the girls who's picked and that she can have a good time. So like overcompensating in that way. So then for her to almost not be able to hold that up for the whole majority of the show and to crumble and also to be able to psychoanalyze, well, is it because you weren't picked? Is it because you prepared, you wore pants, you talked about how you were uncomfortable in the pants, but you were making the sacrifice because you wanted to go on stage? Like 
I think Kyle, that was Kyle's immediate reaction when she sat down with her was like analyzing how we went from A to B, you know, like or A to Z even because that was not the vibe she was putting out. If she had put out that she was kind of like wary of the situation, fine. But she was like excited. I feel like there was some weird shit going on. Okay, so when Kyle made the pants comment as they were walking out, and it was the kind of thing where you could tell Sutton was not going to respond well to that, but Kyle felt as though she had to just present it as one of the potential options to explain Sutton's behavior. There was a split second where I had had that thought as well. And then that left my mind because I truly don't believe that's what was going on there. Tonight on Watch What Happened, Sutton said, there was something else going on throughout the day that we didn't see, we will see. She said it didn't excuse her behavior, but it maybe explained some of her behavior, which I'm sure is true and I'm not downplaying that. I think, I don't know, to me, there's just a piece of it that comes across as so holier than thou of like, no one is telling you that you have to be comfortable getting on stage, spreading your legs and having a guy like, simulate going down on you. I I get it. That's not for everyone. I don't think you're approved for not wanting to do it, but to objectively make a scene and then deny making a scene, I just think it's like, to put it simply, just annoying. Because I know technically, as I said, she didn't ask for people to follow her, but in this group, that's kind of the way things go. So then, and I know we're talking about last week for a second, but in the van, when Erica really didn't play into it, which was such a, you know, dynamic shift, you then have this week where the elevator opens by the grace of God, according to Erica. And Erica kind of takes that moment to put Sutton on the spot, which I can imagine, you know, people having mixed feelings of like, well, there goes the old Erica. For some reason that didn't bother me because I kind of get it. Like I, I didn't think it was so off for Erica to do that. And I I don't know if that's wrong, but that's just how I felt. Well, that was like, oh, there's our Erica. Like it felt so unnatural for Erica to react in that way of like, fine, you do you, especially because it was concerning someone that like is close to her, like Mikey, his partner, these people she's been friends with, the dance partner, like you do not fuck with Erica's people like that. And that was just so uncharacteristic of her. So then it was almost like a delayed reaction because she if she had reacted that way right after, no one would have been surprised. I think it was because she had reacted one way at first and had sort of said, you know, this is the new me, this is the new me. And then boom, the elevator doors open and the real her sort of escaped. Like she couldn't even stop it. I was like, okay, this makes perfect sense. But I think Sutton thought she was completely in the clear and that, you know, Erica gave up fighting for Lent and was this whole new woman and I got out of this alive. But obviously she didn't. But also like the, the I guess, fourth wall that can't be mentioned is that it's not as though Magic Mike was not aware of the fact that House of Beverly Hills were coming with an entire film crew. Obviously, Erica had set part of this up. So when Sutton leaves, whether or not she thinks it's making this grand exit, it is on some level a grand exit. They know that the whole thing is being filmed. There's then cameras following her out. Like I get why if you're Erica... It's something that she feels is worthy of a little bit of an apology. I don't I don't know. I think that for Sutton to play it off as though she was just, you know, removing herself to go to the bathroom is like total bullshit. And maybe Erica was a little aggressive in the way she called it out, but those elevator doors opened and like, I don't know, that made for great TV. No, God put that in her lap. Like seriously. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I got that. I I, I uh, it's so crazy because 
I remember like a, a couple of seasons ago having this exact conversation where I said to you, I feel like I'm going crazy. Everyone is diehard Sutton and I feel I'm missing it. Like, please someone explain it to me. And I asked that honestly. And then I kind of got it. And I, I don't think I fully get it in the way that I feel so many other people do. And I, I want to know what I'm missing because I, I enjoy her on Watch What Happens. I think she's fun and witty. And I like that she can kind of you know, make fun of herself. And I like some of her over the top actions and I think it makes excellent TV. But I also think at times some of the outbursts are just so holier than thou in a way that to me is so unappealing. I know. I think she really struggles in these big social situations and anytime there's any pressure or eyeballs on her, which when you're a housewife is kind of like the name of the game. So of course, putting her in those pressure cooker situations is when she's going to pop and that's when we get all the drama and the reactions. But I think that's why we struggle because she is funny. She is quirky. Her confessionals are funny. You sometimes think she has a really good perspective on things. And then another time you're like, oh my God, who is this person? Like I listened to her on Jeff Lewis and again, different person than we're seeing on Housewives, than we're seeing on Watch Up and Live, than we're seeing in a one-on-one versus you know, a party or a magic mic. I just, that's why she's a good housewife though. But yeah, this was like really confusing to me. And by the way, I totally agree with Garcelle that where is this coming from as though, you know, Garcelle is responsible for Sutton's actions. Like when Garcelle said, and we can get into that conversation separately, the one where she was, you know, talking about her feeling uncomfortable discussing her kids with the women and, and Dorit's kind of response to that. But even then in her conversation with Erica, when they're talking about Dorit, like I really understand what Garcelle's saying when she is expressing that she just does not feel that her and Dorit can communicate. And I, I think it's a Dorit issue, not a Garcelle issue. Somehow Dorit has this way of really personalizing what Garcelle says when I really do not believe it is intended to be personal. No, Dorit takes it like such a shot at her and it's not. It's not. And it's, I, I totally felt Garcelle's frustration and almost how, you know, when she walked out kind of crying in that moment, because I felt like her coming to them was such a vulnerable thing to say, like, just to be totally honest, I don't know where I'm at in sharing things about my kids with you guys. I don't know if I feel totally safe. And that was such a moment where she could have been embraced. And for Dorit to then turn it around as though she's the one hurt by that and needs an apology was so off. And it, and I really like Dorit. And I hate when she does that because it it's not right. No, and also if you care about your friendship with Garcelle at all, this is a moment to prove that you are worthy. Like how you handle that is also kind of subconsciously a test because if you can receive that and be there for Garcelle in that way, that's like, a step forward on the path of your guys's healing. So it's like, now you're just pushed it even more 10 steps back because you're not even listening to her and you're going to spin it and make this even more of a problem. Like it's not about you. No, it's not. And again, you know, in the van, when they're on the way to the airport, like what did she want Garcelle to do about Sutton in that situation? If there's anything we've seen from Sutton, when she gets like that, it is very hard to try to curb that. And by the way, and I know this is so insignificant in the scheme of things, but like here's Garcelle who partially planned this trip and is very excited for the Magic Mike show. And now she has to miss the half naked men because she's responsible for Sutton's breakdown. And then Dorit's telling her she didn't do enough. Like, 
if I'm Garcelle, I'm like, I did not miss this show for you to then tell me I didn't do a good enough job calming down someone that had no business being this upset in the first place. Like it's, I don't know. I really like to read and I get so annoyed when she does that because it is so unwarranted. I'm also like, how do you know? You didn't watch the tape back yet. And right. she's like, well, clearly you didn't get her down, but like Sutton was uncalm downable. So like, that's not Garcelle's job. You know, she can't just like take on an impossible task. I think the problem also is, you know, Garcelle and Sutton are really good friends. And like, I think because of how they joined the show and just their timing and the way we've seen their relationship, we sort of all think of them as a duo and the group sort of puts them in that box too. And Garcelle might be sick of that because yes, her and Sutton have fun and, you know, maybe they do laugh and they share a bedroom, whatever, like when it comes down to it, like that's just how the chips fall. But Garcelle doesn't want to be responsible. Like her and Sutton are not grooving in that way. They don't agree on things. They're not easy like that. So I think she feels kind of annoyed almost that that has become her responsibility and her job to be like Sutton's sidekick, Sutton's best friend when she feels like, no, other women in this group are close to her too. It doesn't always need to be my burden because Sutton is like a lot of work. The other thing that was so bizarre is I know initially it was Garcelle that left, but Kyle was also there attempting to calm Sutton down. Why is Dorit not coming for Kyle for not doing a good enough job? Right. It's like, you know, sometimes on Housewives, they'll say, you know, so-and-so just always has a thing for me. They're always coming for me. And the audience is like, I think you're kind of making something out of nothing. The way that I feel with Dorit and Garcelle is like, no, that kind of is happening. Like Dorit just has a commitment to never hearing Garcelle in the way that she is trying to be heard. I know. Like she hears what she's saying, but it almost gets translated into something else in her mind. It's really weird. Yeah, it's 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 unfortunate. And I, I really understand if I'm Garcelle feeling frustrated, especially watching it back. So Mother's Day is coming up. And I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically, no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen and... Every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. So the weather is finally getting a little warmer. And one of the most fun parts about the seasons changing is kind of the wardrobe revamp that comes along with that. And if you're looking to update your wardrobe without spending a fortune, I want to introduce you to Quince because I really think that they do quality essentials kind of better than anyone I found. And 
I've told you guys about them before, but specifically as the weather is getting warmer, their linen dresses, like such an easy throw on, so comfortable, such good quality. To me, if you put on a linen dress with a pair of white sneakers, a little cardigan over your shoulders, to me, that is such a chic look. Also, their washable silk blouses. They are so comfortable, but you look so put together. They have great like scoop neck t-shirts, just comfortable, easy staples. Like that is what I like about them. I think that you can really build just a quality wardrobe collection with their essentials. And the best part is that all Quinn's items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes those savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm rather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. Obviously, we have to talk about Kyle and Mauricio, and I'm not even talking about the lunch between Kyle and Dorit because I did think that that was pretty open. But even just in that one FaceTime where Kyle is FaceTiming Mauricio, and I know we can't see him, she's just done. Like, I don't want to go as far as to say she hates him. I know that's what Jeff Lewis said, but she is so emotionally checked out. And you can see it's like, it really is that meme of like, person I hate breathes me, shut the fuck up. Like, not that she hates him, but I think that's the vibe. I think even just anything, any little thing is going to send her over the edge with him. See, I don't even so much feel like it's that she hates him yet. I think it is such like an uncomfortability. Like they are so uncomfortable with each other. They don't know how to be. Kyle does not know what to say to him or how to act or re- like she, I think is in her mind, like literally trying to come up with like, okay, what would I usually say? What's the script? What sounds normal? What's would be, you know, what we say on a normal FaceTime. It, it's so, it's just like, it's unnatural. And it never felt that way. Their relationship was always like the easiest and the most natural. And I think one of the biggest indicators of her change is of course how she is with Mauricio, just all of a sudden really being in her head of like, who is this person? I don't know how to be. And two, these confessionals where she's really going deep and talking about how their lifestyles don't align anymore and her priorities have changed, which as we've discussed at length, I think is just small details of this big greater rebirth that Kyle is having. And like, you know, Sutton said midlife crisis. I think that has like a negative connotation when sometimes it can be positive, but this big change that Kyle is having. And so if you're Mauricio, I'm like, who is my wife? And if I'm her, I'm like, no, this is this is me. And I my old lifestyle just doesn't suit me anymore. And maybe Mauricio just falls into that. Well, as a side, because I want to get back to that, but what you said just reminded me, something I found to be very bizarre was the way the women were so openly negatively reacting to Kyle choosing to be sober at the moment. It was so strange. Like it was almost the kind of thing where if you were going to say it to yourself, that's, it it felt like you guys know you're being filmed, right? It felt like like 2005. I don't know. I was so confused by that because by the way, if you're worried about the fun Kyle, Kyle is on stage getting whipped cream licked off of her. Meanwhile, Sutton three vodkas in is running out because she can't deal with something that simulates oral sex. So there's something else going on there. It's almost like I I don't know. I found that really strange that they are being anything but supportive. If anything, and even Garcelle, who like to me is 
you know, my most trustworthy narrator. Like I look to her in times of chaos. Even she is kind of acting as though there's something wrong with Kyle doing this lifestyle change. And I, I don't, I just found that so bizarre. I think, you know, it's one thing to maybe have that thought. Like, I think that if we're being our most honest, it is a normal thought. If you have a friend who you're so used to going out and drinking and partying with for them not to do that anymore, like that is perhaps a drastic change in your life. But I just felt like saying it to her and also just being so open about it felt very, like I said, like early 2000s, like tabloid, all the headlines and shit people used to say that we've sort of grown as a culture to know is like not okay because people have their own reasons, things they don't share things that they struggle with. Like, it's just, you kind of have to be supportive no matter what you think or how it affects you. Yeah, I just felt like it was a little bit mm, tone deaf. I mean, here is Kyle who's saying, at least from her perspective, all of the positive changes that she's seen in her life partially as a result of stopping drinking. Even what really hit me was when she was on the red carpet of BravoCon and she said, this is the time in my life based on everything going on with." my marriage that you would, I would expect myself to be my most anxious. And I'm realizing that without alcohol, my anxiety is so curbed. Like that's a wonderful side effect of, of stopping drinking, whatever the original reason was, how great to lower your anxiety at a time where typically it would be peaking. And yeah, I I agree. I found it so strange that they were like openly, forget about questioning it, openly criticizing it, but that's a separate thing. I just want to go back to what you were saying about Kyle and Mauricio. I think that there was a part of Kyle, I don't think she was faking it for all of these years in being the wife to Mauricio in the role that she was in, in terms of doing all of those things, being that social partner, being the one. I I think at the time, that's really what she wanted, or at least what she thought she wanted. And what I think we're seeing isn't someone that has resented her husband for the last however many years. I think, like you said, something shifted. I know, I don't know if we discussed this on the podcast, or if you and I were just discussing it alone, everything just blends to me. But I know, you know, and, and other people have spoken about this. We're not the only ones that have had this thought, obviously, but I, I said this to you, like last year, I think it was when one of her very close friends committed suicide. I, I truly believe that impacted her in a serious way as it can as, as it has the potential to, you know? And I, I just think sometimes a a really tragic, traumatic life event can maybe, you know, give you this perspective that you were not even aware you would have had. You, you don't know how you're going to react to something like that. And I'm not at all associating all of this with that, but I think to talk about this whole situation without mentioning that would be unfair from my perspective, at least. Well, I thought when her and Dorit were talking about that and she was saying like the traumas that she's gone through and Dorit really just brought up like things with her sister. I'm not sure if she wants to speak about it on the show. I don't think she has, but that to me felt like a really significant marker in her life. Look, I'm not saying there has to be a marker and whatever, this could just be her path, but I do feel like that is a really just interesting perspective and revelation that it could be related to that because, you know, from the outside, of course, we don't know her, but it does really feel like there was a left turn from a specific point. It wasn't like a slow build. It was like a real, all of a sudden, Kyle sort of woke up one month and was like, I'm making a change. Yeah, it's that clarity she keeps talking about. And I guess I, 
I don't know. I'm just unwilling to criticize it because I don't view it as a bad thing. And I think whatever ends up happening with her and Mauricio and how they play it, like logistically, yes, will be very interesting because obviously this is kind of like, I think I said this before, but the way Karen Huger talks about their marriage being an institution, that's also how I view Kyle and Mauricio. Like there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of assets, a lot of kid stuff, a lot, a lot, a lot. And they're going to have to play it delicately, but I think good for her, you know, like if whatever is working for her at this moment and she feels good in, I think keep doing it. I think a lot of people don't have the courage to like actually do what makes them happy and feel like they have to stay in this box. So if she's happy, we're happy. I just think a lot, anyone who has criticism, it's because it affects them. So like the drinking thing is just an example, but I think it was probably presented to them as like, oh, I'm not drinking this week. I'm trying to cut back. And then they realize like, oh wow, she's like really sober. So they're sort of maybe mourning what they knew their friendship with Kyle. But if you're a really good friend, you'll you'll roll with it. Right. And also, I just want to say, it's not like she's not doing the thing. She's the one of the two people that rode the bull. She is the one on stage at Magic Mike. She's like she's doing still all- screaming. She's still screaming at Sutton, you're such a bitch in the vestibule of the hotel as they're leaving Magic Mike. Like right. You're still, she's still a fun friend. She's still a loyal friend and she's still a fucking good housewife. So like, leave her alone. Yeah, leave her alone. Listen, I know the elephant in the room is that you and I just like objectively like Kyle more than what it seems like a lot of other people on the internet do. It's just always been our stance and it's never changed. So I know some people disagree with that, but we're just being honest in our opinions. That's all you can ask. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Other things that I want to mention from this episode. Oh, the flashback of the... Garcelle Oliver Sutton lunch. Oh my God. That I, just lo- felt so- I love a, a crossover sweet life of Hannah Montana on deck. Yes. Felt so like vintage. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then I guess just the other thing from this episode, which I know we're totally bouncing all over the place, but at the dinner pre bull riding, when they're asking the question about the way money impacts your life and Erica kind of dives in a little bit deeper about how that's all impacted her. To me, I really like this side of Erica. I really, really do. I'm very much enjoying it. I told you this is going to be like the Erica Jane redemption season. And so far, I'm loving what I'm seeing. Well, just one thing I wanted to say, because someone texted me this before we started recording. I haven't even responded yet, but I'm just curious your thoughts. And they were saying, you know, yeah, we get that very vulnerable display from Erica the night before. And then the next day, she's kind of pulling that elevator stunt with Sutton. And I guess to me, I don't necessarily feel like one takes away from the other, meaning she's still the same Erica inside. It's not like there's this brand new version of herself and she has completely stripped herself of any of her former qualities. I think you're seeing maybe a more refined, hopefully more compassionate and working towards being a more empathetic person and definitely more vulnerable. So I think she's allowed to like have that moment of vulnerability and speak about where she's at specifically, you know, the financial struggles of it all and then put Sutton on the spot to apologize to the dancers. And I don't think it, I don't know. To me, I'm like, yeah, I think she can kind of do both. Is that, do you, do you disagree? Yeah. Get you a girl that can do both. Okay. So you don't disagree with that. Not at all. By the way, I think what Erica quote did to Sutton in terms of like calling her out in front of Mikey and Davis was not that bad. Like neither do I. That's what I'm in saying. In terms of the housewives world, it's very light. And in terms of Erica, we've seen her be scathing. I think this was like not that bad. And I think Sutton was prepared, like I said earlier, was prepared for 
Erica to ream her out in the van and she didn't. She thought she got away from it. She was really caught off guard. There's, you know, she's about to leave Vegas and she got through causing a scene, but not even getting punished for it. The elevator doors happened to open. She was caught off guard. It happened. And like Sutton couldn't handle it. That's not Erica's fault. I think Erica's just such a fiercely loyal friend. She's still herself. You know, you don't want her to be stripped of everything she is. And like, you can be both. Right. And by the way, like you're the one that ran out of a film Magic Mike performance when it was a whole thing that you guys were coming. I think if you're going to do the thing, you can apologize to the dancer. Like, I I don't think, I don't know. So so to me, I did not feel like that was this terrible thing. We've seen Erica do some pretty shitty stuff. I did not feel that was one of them. The one thing that I just realized we forgot to mention was when they're at that dinner and Garcelle asked the question about, you know, if anyone found out that there was infidelity one time, would you be able to let it go? And Kyle responds, I don't know, which felt like kind of an eerie moment. It felt like something that's A, happened, or B, that's being discussed, and a a wound slash can of worms that she was not trying to open at the table in Vegas while they have cowboy hats on. What about Garcelle's confessional when she talks about the five-year mistress and then explaining the email? I mean, fucking epic of her. Yeah, no, she's a legend. Legend. I really, I really, really like her. I I love her. Yeah, she is like all time. I want her to have like one or two people in the group who are at her level and that like she rides for because I think she really likes all these women and they all really like her. But like, I don't know. I just think we could really get like the, the Garcelle fucking show. Yeah, no, she's, if she decides to do this for forever, she could do this for forever. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're, they're lucky to have her is how I feel. Uh, and so are we. Let's talk about something near and dear to our hearts, our furry companions. Life is full of unexpected twists, just like the ones we love to uncover about our favorite celebs. But sometimes those twists involve our four-legged friends. Imagine navigating the unpredictable world of pet parenthood, where every day is a new adventure. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, wants to share a message to help make sure you're prepared for any unexpected curveballs, whether it's a sudden illness or an unplanned trip to the vet. Spot Pet Insurance can be your secret weapon against the unexpected. With Spot, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills, helping you with those surprising expenses that seem to pop up when you least expect them. But wait, there's more. Spot Pet Insurance plans go beyond just offering coverage for accidents and illnesses. You can enhance your plan with their preventive care benefit, ensuring that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can be covered too. Head over to spotpet.com today to get a quote instantly. Trust us, it's the easiest thing you'll do to help secure the well-being of your dog or cat. Visit www.spotpet.com today. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample hyphen policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. 50 high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? 
Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. I'm not going to lie to you, the way that Larsa acted at this lunch with Gertie was one of the more uncomfortable I have felt watching Bravo recently. So it's so interesting that this has fallen on this week because I have been watching old Kardashians through because I think I was watching an episode. You guys were recapping on the podcast and then I just got hooked, obviously, and kept playing it as I organized my apartment. And the episode I watched this week is like in the peak time when Courtney is like dating Eunice and she's best friends with Larsa. Like Larsa and Courtney never leave each other's sides. Courtney goes in to freeze her eggs. They're literally waiting in the room. Courtney's fully in the hospital bed and she's saying to Larsa like, I just like really hate going under anesthesia. It makes me so nervous. And Larsa starts rambling on like, yeah, you know, what if you don't wake up? And what if you, something happens to you? You have all these kids. Like, I just hate that feeling and thinking about my kids not having a mom. And Courtney's like, okay, maybe let's not talk about that right now. And I literally was about to write to you guys like, Larsa is missing a chip. Like she just doesn't know what to say, how to say, how to communicate the right thing to say to people at the right time. And the next day I saw this clip of Larsa and Gertie speaking and I'm like, you know, nothing's changed in the last 10 years. No, that really tracks. I thought when you first started talking that you were going to say the episode on Courtney's birthday trip or girl's trip or whatever it was when you know, Larsa just had absolutely no empathy. Oh, when the girl's crying in the bathroom and she's like, who gives a fuck? Yeah, it it is. I mean, obviously this is a different situation, but yeah, there is something that clearly is missing. And it's, it's really, as I'm, I guess it's the first time I'm talking about it. So I'm, I'm noticing in this moment how kind of hard it is to articulate because how do you explain what to most people would be a natural human reaction. Like, yeah. I, I don't know how to explain what's so off other than it is just so off. Here is this woman who is clearly distraught telling you, and you are one of the first people she is telling about a cancer diagnosis she just received. And for you to be anything but overwhelmingly loving, compassionate, and kind in that moment is so foreign to me. I... I it's like, I get when, you know, Lisa and Alexia and Marisol talk about Larsa as a friend in terms of like, she can be a ride or die. Like I can understand that side of her. I totally can. I can on some ways get the appeal. And in any of actually our interactions with her, I thought she was lovely. But I think when it comes to difficult conversations, specifically when someone is really needing that sensitivity, she like does not know how to do it. And that's that's an issue. You know, I get it's a lot of pressure. Like you can't have the perfect response when something's sprung on you. I'm not saying that. But there's something that just rubs me really, really the wrong way when like the first three sentences out of your mouth is like, why didn't you tell me? It just, I don't, her, her innate reactions to things are like really just concerning. And it's abrasive. Yeah. It's just, I, I don't know. It really upset me for Gertie. But Aside from all that, okay, so I saw that clip like before the episode aired, whatever. I'm I'm ready to get like heated. I'm already pissed at Larsa. But that ends up being like the less, the lesser offensive thing that Larsa does in this episode because 
she then goes and spills the beans six hours later, not just to her friends. I think, you know, the the two friends who are not in the group sit down. Larsa tells them, I'm like, okay, that's fucked up. The women, the whole group walk in, sit down. She fucking spills the beans. How do you have that in your gut and your heart to do that? That was so wrong. And you know something? This is not a situation where you can play it off like, well, they're on a reality show. Of course she had to do that. No, 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 no. I understand in certain situations when it's something that's gossipy or someone said something about someone else, fine, they're going to tell that's par for the course. This is someone telling you something so personal about their health that they explicitly ask you not to share. And not even 24 hours later after... After it's not as though Larsa heard that and didn't reply. Larsa said, of course, I would never, I would never. To then recap it to these women as though it wasn't something so personal. It, and by the way, it's it's so wrong to Gertie. And it also put the women in an uncomfortable spot. It That was like, I had such an issue with that. I really was so put off by that. No, that's like one of the things where it completely trumps anything being on a show. Like this is way bigger than anything on the show. And yeah, it does put the other women in an uncomfortable position. And it's just, I know, I just do not, I don't get it. She said it too, like it was, she just found out someone was cheating on someone, like almost like it was gossip. And all she could care about, like her biggest concern was using it as a way to talk about the lunch and making sure that she was, I guess, like cleared from you know, how, like how the lunch turned out and how the conversation went and like using that as almost like a protective shield. I can't explain it. But again, also when you go back, the fact that they're having this lunch because Larsa's pissed that Gertie called her fake. I mean, if we had a nickel for any time someone called Larsa fake in so many ways, like, come on, that really, that's the hill you're going to die on with Gertie. But forget, forget about that. What about the irony of the fact that the thing according to Larsa, that Gertie called her out was for being fake. And she then does the fakest thing ever, which is look someone in the eye after them sharing their cancer diagnosis, saying, I will not tell a soul, and then immediately telling everyone else. That is classified as fake. That is definition (sighs) fake. So I, I was like... Oh, I just, this, this, I'm not going to lie to you this whole episode. I, I really didn't expect to feel this way because I, in so many ways, like my mom's cancer journey, it's not something that I think about on the daily. Like I miss her on the daily, but actually going through the chemo, the radiation, all of that. She did that the first time around. She didn't do it the second time around. So this has been years. You know, obviously she died five years ago, but when she was initially going through that first round, I was much younger. That was like in 2007. And this, it, hit me like a ton of bricks because I I was there for her having those conversations of what it's like to tell someone for the first time, you know, when you don't know. It's one thing when you've been going through it, you have more of an understanding. When you first find out, you are completely new to this. It's like literally one of the most fragile states a person can be in. And to take that and just disrespect it in such a way is is like kind of unforgivable to me. I felt, I really was feeling for Gertie. I was like, how is Gertie watching this episode? And by the way, you know, um, we're watching this after post BravoCon. So we saw all the women on the stage together. And not only did we see Gertie separately and just what a fucking class act, like 
warrior badass, but also- Queen of Bravocon. Yeah, literally Queen of Bravocon. We said that last week, but even the way she was interacting with Larsa was far kinder than if the roles were reversed, Larsa would be interacting with her. You know, like talk about giving someone grace. Yeah, they were like- great. We were sitting by them in the Bravos. I think that they were interacting totally fine. I don't know what happens and I don't know what wounds will be reopened as they watch the season and had the reunion. But by the way, at the lunch when they're walking away and Larsa says, yeah, like what if I just like called TMZ right now? Like that was her joke because Gertie reiterates like, you know, again, like I said, I've only told family, I'm going to tell the girls in my own time, figure it out. This is a huge part of the journey. And Larsa's joke is like, what if I just called TMZ and told them? Like, that is... <sighs> for her to joke about it, and then, like, you kind of fucking did. It's so bizarre. Like, it is so deeply off. And honestly, I know this is so not the point of this, but I know last week, or post, like, at the BravoCon episode, we were saying, watching Marcus and Larsa together, like, we get it. And I stand by that in the sense of, like, they are fucking in love. Whatever's going on yeah. there, they are in love. And, like, I think he's such a great guy. And I'm watching that, and I'm like, how is, like, there's no way Marcus Jordan is watching that episode and agreeing with that behavior. No, he's like saying like, babe, that was not cool. Right, like that was not cool. And what about- She'll the, have an excuse. Yeah, but what about the fact that, and we haven't seen this yet, but I'm sure, you know, Gertie is going to sit down with the women and tell them. And then finding out whether she finds out in that moment or after the fact that she was actually robbed of that moment, it like- it's so disorienting and unsettling and oh, we don't have to keep harping on it. I know it was one part and it's over, but that was so wrong. It was like a beyond Bravo wrong thing. It was so infuriating. Yeah. Yeah. It was really sad. I am curious how it'll go down when she tells the other women, because you're right now what they have to act and here Gertie is probably like stirring over how she's going to tell them and how it will go down and who she could tell first the reactions and Larsa completely took that from her. I think that's no matter what you're telling people, good or bad, telling people someone's news that is theirs to share is just the worst offense you can do as a friend. Oh my when God, it only like, is to benefit yourself. A thousand percent. It's there's it, and regardless of what the thing is, whether it's something like this, it's someone coming out to you, it's whatever. It's like, that is not your news. Someone having a baby getting engaged, like even happy things. It's just, it's fucked. But let's move on because this show's so fucking good. Yes, yeah, so many things. I mean, the Marcus welcome home party, again, crazy to have a party five days of him being on, but hey, it it gave us great content. I would love to dive in more to the Lisa Jody dynamic where all she does is talk about Lenny. Okay. I have a lot of thoughts on this. Please share them. That's why we're here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess it's not a direct answer to your question, which we can get to, but Let's just back up for a second because at the table, prior to her in the house with the kids when she's on the phone with him, at the table when she's talking about Lenny and all the women are saying like, you got to stop, you got to stop. And Jody's walking in and they're trying to tell her, don't talk about this as he's coming in. And she kind of says like, listen, this is my reality. He's living it with me. My first question to you is, what is your reaction to the women, number one, wanting her to slow down and talking about Lenny and second of all, them being hesitant and her continuing to talk about it in front of Jody? There's two parts of this. I think, of course, it is the biggest and most insane thing going on in her life. Like, this isn't even just a normal divorce. It's on such a public scale. It was so dramatic. There's so many details. He's being so cruel to her. Like, it is really 
a soap opera going on. So like, I get it. It's not just your everyday split. So yeah, of course you want to talk about it to your girlfriends all the time. I think that they feel she's becoming obsessed and like making it her personality just to talk shit about Lenny because there is so much to say and they want her to move on because in so many ways she has grown and has been moving on. She has a new relationship. She's starting a new business. They want her to like lean into that. I think with the Jody stuff, you know, I go back and forth because that is your person. Like that is who you're with all day and night. And I think if he can handle this shit storm, he can handle anything. And like, you don't want her to shield all her feelings and her angers and frustrations and everyday details just because you're now the new boyfriend. Like, I think there's a healthy balance, but I think I understand the other women being concerned. Like, okay, if this is becoming the only topic of conversation as it seems it is because Lisa just goes in circles and circles and circles. Like they even try to change the topic and she's like, and just one more thing about Lenny, the way he looks at me, like she just cannot stop because I think it's just too crazy for her to even believe is really happening at all, let alone to her. But I don't know. I feel like there's a healthy balance with Jody. Maybe she's just not striking it and they see how great of a relationship they have and they're trying to intervene before it gets too far. And he's like, okay, I didn't marry Lenny. I didn't divorce Lenny. And like, I love you, but this is enough. And who knows how long this divorce could drag on. Okay, right. But just for the other side for a second, that's also the majority of what we're seeing. Yeah, Like their entire relationship is not talking about Lenny. I think that of course the most you know, inflammatory slash entertaining, unfortunately, aspect of Lisa's life at the moment is the drama going on with Lenny. So of course we're going to see her talking about that and going to see her talking about that with Jody. I, 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 I don't know. It's like, I, I understand where the women are coming from, but I also think at a certain point you got to trust your friend to know her own relationship enough Kind yeah. of. And like he, all, he signed up for this almost. On some level, yeah. I mean, c- clearly. And it's not, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I hear them. It's not like I think that they're being crazy. I just also, I don't know. If I'm Lisa, I'm like, you guys have no fucking idea the hell that I'm going through on a daily basis here. Let me just, let me be mad. Yes, it's been a year, but it's gotten worse. Like he is, he, we've seen the way Lenny's being. We see, it's not like she's talking about a monster that we don't know. She's talking and then we're seeing him leaving the most disgusting comments you have ever seen on Instagram. We're seeing his mistress doing in this you know, interview. We're, we're watching all of this go down. It's not like she's lying in what she's saying. So I don't know. I, I I guess I get feeling fatigued by it, but I also think this is not going to be the rest of her life. It's a year or two that she's going to need you guys and buckle up. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I think that they are just maybe being a little harsh with her. I think that there's always been, especially with like Marisol, Alexia, not really Larsa because she's more her equal, definitely with Leah Black. It was like Lisa is like the little sister in a way and they always were trying to protect her, tell her what to do, give her all this advice and that sometimes sort of comes out. So maybe watching this from afar and also like for their own self-serving reasons, they're just sick of hearing about Lenny. I mean, yes, of course, that's probably the more interesting footage they're going to show us, but already we've seen Last season, we've seen this season, she's on the boat with Jody and she's talking about Lenny. She's at BravoCon talking about it. She's at Larsa's party talking about it. She's alone with Jody. She's calling Jody. Like, that has to be some indicator already that, like, it's a lot. And we may not get sick of hearing about it because obviously the details are so interesting to us. But riveting. 
yeah, riveting content. But like, there's there's a certain point for everyone, including your friends and your boyfriend. I get it. I get it. I do understand that. But I on just, the flip side, like you said, I can appreciate and like I actually do really respect that comfort level and that she's not trying to live these two lives. Like I, I think he's a really good guy who really loves her. It seems like it. I mean, I, I, from what we see, I, th- here's the thing. Like, this is her reality. She's living this on a daily basis. She's on the phone with lawyers every day. She's on the phone with Lenny every day. If she wants to maintain a relationship with Jody where they're spending a decent amount of time together, the two are going to overlap. And so, you know, I, I think that it would be an issue if she wasn't at the same time expressing her appreciation for him and acknowledging the man that he is and the way that he makes her feel and all of the positive things. And and she must be doing that, obviously. It's like, like Jody doesn't need to be with Lisa Hochstein. Definitely not in it for the money right now. <laughs> like, you know, like, I, I don't know. I, it's very, it's this whole, this is like a crazy show. I just fucking love it. Again, I go watch it all day long. No, like forever, forever. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. The conversation between Gertie and Russell was so emotional. And I, when he said to her, you know, no, your shit is my shit. Like that is what you want in a partner. He, They're so cute. They're really deeply supportive of one another in, in a way that I think is just so beautiful to watch. And like, I mean, they've known each other since they were kids, you know, they've, they've been in this for a long time and you can tell it's just this real mutual love, support, respect. And that feeling of just like an eternal, I got you is so comforting. Like that is so what you want out of a partner. I agree. It's yeah. And, and, you know, she knew, she knew that she didn't feel comfortable having the conversation with her kids. She didn't feel that she would be able to handle it in a way that would be beneficial for them. And like, he's so happy to say, okay, I can take the reins on this. Like I, I got it, you know, and just to have that and, and be able to balance it in that way, I think is really special. Yeah. I loved it. And the Martina Julia conversation also, plus the Gertie edition. That was another one. I mean, this was a heavy episode now that I'm thinking There's about no it. show like Miami. There's no show like Miami. You have like some of the most deep conversations we've seen on like Bravo maybe ever in one episode. And you see Nicole shopping for $11 million yachts. And we see Marcus Jordan coming home like to Larsa Pippen. Like where, how, how do we get this? No, it's, it's unbelievable. It really it, is. It's something. It's the best show. That was a, that was a very open conversation that they were having with Julia, Martina and Gertie. That was like a, you yes. could tell, you could yes. tell Gertie, you know, like I think felt really relieved is the wrong word, but f- felt really comforted to talk to someone that had been through it and, and, you know, to, to have that direct access. Yeah. Someone that she also deems as like a really trustworthy narrator who she respects and knows is like smart and has gone through it in a really fresh way. Like, I think she felt really safe with Martina and that was like a really nice thing to watch. Also, she's fresh in her journey and Martina had just finished her treatment. So it felt really like kind of full circle. Yeah. I I think there's also a moment of like, Okay, she did it. Like I can, you know, it's it's like you have Yeah. Yeah, just what a show. And the same night as Beverly Hills, it's like, wow, we we are lucky. It's overload. Doing your hair has the potential to be such a time-consuming process if you're not using products that really work for you and honestly really work with you. And for me, I'd say generally speaking, my hair is pretty easy to manage, but it does get frizzy. I have a lot of split ends, so 
I'm always looking for things to manage the frizz. And recently I've been into a new product from Way. It's their anti-frizz cream. So it's a really lightweight cream. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours and also heat protection up to 450 degrees. So you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. And the thing I really like about it is that it helps reduce and repair split ends while quenching dry hair with intense hydration. So you can feel like it just feels good on your hair. For me, I get out of the shower. I always spray in the leave-in conditioner. I've told you guys about that before, but I love it. A little anti-frizz cream and you're good to go. I also, I mean, I love a lot of things from Way, but I like their detox shampoo. I don't use that every week, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, but I feel like it gives my hair a really, really good clean. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code CELEBS for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code CELEBS. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, New Kids on the Block, Sean Paul, Sum 41, Whitney Cummings, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit livenation.com slash concertweek to buy now. That's livenation.com slash concertweek to buy now. feels so good to be back in Potomac. Nothing's felt better. Miami, Potomac, Southern Charm at the same time is just euphoria. I think I can say this without a shadow of a doubt, truly. No housewives show up to work, like across the entire board of the cast, the way the Potomac women do. No. It's, I would fully agree with that statement. Right? And, like wait. they're, how are they, everyone's considered a housewife, but they are all working Overtime. Wait, there's like a million things, but, and I know this is not the most significant in the scheme of things, but Jason and Giselle at her house. <laughs> That's not what I thought you were going to start with. There's I'm sorry. So much I know. I know. I, like, don't, okay. The reason I'm just mentioning that is because we spoke about that when it was a rumor. Like, yeah. way back in the day when there was just this little word on the street that potentially a fling was going on between Giselle Bryant and Winterhouse's Jason. And now he is making sushi with her daughter in the kitchen. I was not expecting that. No, that that took me by storm. And you know what? I think it's doing wonders for Giselle. Like she, Same. I don't know. I think she had a little pep in her step. I was going to say a pep in her step, but also because I'm so used to her default being like very kind of closed off and not willing to talk about things. And I thought her relationship with Jason would be the same and that she would kind of be like a little bit annoyingly coy about it where we we obviously want to know all the details and see them interact. But no, not only is she having him on the show, having him cook with her kids, whatever, but like she'll talk about it. Like someone makes a joke about, you know, you're with a younger guy and this and that during the Pilates. And like, she's leaning in. And one thing about Giselle is that she usually does not lean in. Totally. And there was a part of me that was wondering, do you think maybe something that's contributing to that is the fact that Jason is also like a reality star in in many ways, meaning that he mm. he's down for this. Like, uh, that's not the sole reason, obviously, you know, Giselle being closed off in the way that she has has nothing to do necessarily with the people that she has dated or not dated. However, probably his additional willingness to be on camera, I think, had to play us some sort of a role, no? Yeah, well, just him being a public person, I think that's down with it. Like, if she was with some guy who wanted to be really private, like, 
I think like an Uba, you know, where Uba was like really wanting to be closed off in the beginning because this, the way her guy was is like this big business guy who's not on Bravo versus someone who is probably contributed to it. But like, I don't know, the way she is about it in general, I feel like is just kind of great. It doesn't even feel like it is about who he is. He just happens to be like so down to be on the show and is a natural. Yeah, I think there's just like maybe a, a playfulness there that, yeah, yeah, yes. I'm, I'm so, so into it. Me also, too. I mean, this is like, and I know they said this at BravoCon, so we should have been kind of prepared for it, but talk about the season of just everyone coming for Robin. And, and coming for Robin isn't even necessarily the correct term because I don't know if it's coming for her as much as it is just centering her. It's like a mix between they really want the best for her and to support her, but they're also pissed at her. Like yeah. half and half, obviously. But like, I wasn't expecting a full-on intervention in the premiere. No, spearheaded by Giselle. Right. So it's like, it has gotten to a place where they're not just annoyed. They're like so mad at Juan. And they also see that her believing Juan and the way that they're like operating has gotten to a concerning place where it's like, okay, you can't be this blind. Yeah. I mean, this brought me right back to when this whole thing first broke and I subscribed to the Reasonably Shady Patreon and got the exclusive and told it to you on the podcast. And it really brought up those emotions again of just like, I'm sorry, there is no way. And I understand Robin and Juan have known each other for a really long time. And yes, she objectively knows him better than we or any of the other women do. But when something's not right, something's not right. And what I what is upsetting, I know that was very my dad, but what's what's upsetting to me is that like you're not seeing, in my opinion, you're not seeing a woman who doesn't know what's going on. I think what we are witnessing is a woman who is actively suppressing a woman's intuition. She knows something's not right. She cannot say with her full chest that this is all adding up. I just think she would rather exist in this reality than not. And I, I don't know if it's a fair ask. Like I, I truly don't know if it's a fair thing to ask, but there's a part of me that wishes she would say, listen, I think his story's full of shit. I think probably something went down. I don't love the way he's played it, but to be honest with you, we're two kids in. We just got remarried. We've been in it for the long haul. We're family. I'm going to make it work no matter what. So do I think you guys are off for thinking that something's off? No, but this is my reality that I'm choosing to live. I almost wish she would say that. It's like going so hard for him in a way that just feels like, I hate to use this word because it feels so mean, but kind of so pathetic mm. is, is so hard to watch. That's what they're saying without saying it. But also, I don't know if Juan like, is manipulative enough to do this on purpose, but the sort of story that they've fallen deep in on and that Robin really believes is that like, why are they changing their lives or why would Juan do anything different just about the optics? Who cares about the optics? It's not about optics. It's about living your life and he doesn't give a fuck what the blogs or the friends are saying. He's going to do what he's going to do and keep his friendships with women and whatever. And I think Robin feels that it's pathetic for her to say to her husband, like, no, I do care about the optics. People talk because he's like, why do you care what people are saying? If you know our relationship is good and you're letting the show and the tabloids get to you, like she has fallen into that, which is like a slippery slope because like in a way he does have a point. It's just not the reality of what's actually happening. No, but also forget about optics. You know, you can't talk about optics without talking about the baseline of just 
there's a general respect level that one would operate with when knowing the way that it will naturally impact the other person. You know, like there's a, there's a grace period. Like you can chill for a minute, you know, you don't, I'm not saying I agree with, of course, you don't live your life for what other people are going to say. But when something like this goes down, yeah, maybe you do lay low for a little bit just to preserve, just to kind of make things a little easier for your wife. You know, it's like, I don't know. It feels very strange that that's the stance that he's taking. It's all really strange and like, honestly, really sad because I actually do feel like she's really stuck in like this weird dynamic. But I don't know. I just was not expecting like a full on intervention from straight out the gate. I know. I mean, I will say that it's not as though the women that are talking to her are unfamiliar with divorce and infidelity and they're coming from the perspective of like a perfect marriage. So it gave them a little bit more kind of credibility in terms of their standpoint, I felt. You know, these are all women that have been wronged by their husbands. Absolutely. And they were all being very vulnerable with that. And I think saying what they wish someone else would have said to them in a moment like that, which of course is hard to hear. And of course, Robin, like, she was defensive, but she was also soaking it in. I just think she actually does not know what she's going to do. Totally, totally. I also really like Aneka. Me too. And <laughs> Ashley like really threw her right in. She sat down with Wendy and said, okay, here's what my new girlfriend is saying about you and you guys are going to have beef because I'm playing producer today. Yeah, I know. But, but like... Of course. Right. You know, it would not be Ashley Darby's housewarming without something like that. And by the way, from what we've seen, Aneka can handle that. I No, she's like, she's built for this. She like gets it. But I just loved the Ashley pot stirring because she's so good at it. Like I said, she is clocked into work. And, you know, we're setting up a stage here before they really are, have even hung out. <laughs> I know. No, I know. I also felt so happy for Ashley, really. You Me know, too. like, yes, was that penthouse absolutely fucking gorgeous? Yeah. But nothing feels better than that independence and just being away from that guy. I, I mean, having a free space that she got to decorate, not that like they just moved her stuff in on top of probably was the most freeing, incredible feeling. And also that there's a boundary from him. I, like a physical boundary. Yes. Although would not want to be Uncle Lump finding out that Michael was in fact on that Bahamas trip. <laughs> no, because by the way, I think he was like internally panicking when she's like, yeah, I didn't tell you when we were on FaceTime that he was there. And he's like rewinding shit. What did I say about I him? know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Also, I know it's, I, now it's so mixed up now with the BravoCon recap last week, but I think in the premiere, it was me and Karen's one-on-one, right? Mm, yeah. yeah. I, it's so funny. Like, I don't know why, but I I love their relationship. Mia kisses the ring in like a way where it's not desperate, but it's funny. And Karen, like, she leans into it and they're funny and they have this dynamic and she they're shady. Like, I just, I love the dynamics. Also for Mia, who kind of came in her first season, you know, I wouldn't say on her high horse, but very proud to show off that lifestyle. Like, talk about someone who's just owning the current reality of what's going on. Yeah. You know, we always used to say she was like really kind of shady about things, but I think she's sort of just like, let go, let God. Now I have no choice but to be as real as possible. And I think she's really leaning into that, which I can so appreciate, especially coming from someone who I think really like laid it on thick in the beginning, you know, mm-hmm. embellishing and 
showing off and just like trying to like fluff everything up as much as possible to kind of be like, yeah, actually this is my reality and so what? I think she maybe has realized everyone responds better to that. And also then you don't have to hide things and it doesn't catch up to you, your own web of lies. I also told you though, that, like from BravoCon, she was one of, I thought the my favorite people we interacted with. Like just, I thought she was lovely. I did too. I thought she was great. And she just like is full of personality. I think she was really happy to be there, which was like such an amazing quality for a housewife like her. She sparkled on the red carpet, you know? I wouldn't yeah. pick her out as that, but she did. Yeah, she did. Also, I just love me some Candace. I'm sorry. It is so funny the way, you know, in the beginning of my Potomac journey, and I, I know we've said this a million times, but given the new season, it feels fitting to kind of just re-mention. It's like, back in the day, I was so not Team Candace, and I kiss the ground that woman walks on now. I think it's also really indicative of like her journey in life. Like she is a completely new person. I think a lot of people would say that. I think she's grown so much. She's so comfortable in her marriage and her career. And she's such a fucking star on camera. And I think also watching yourself back really humbles and teaches you a lot of things. And I think that's really clear with her. And her relationships in the group, I think are just... I don't know, strengthened. And also maybe there's a bit less of an insecurity of being like the young new girl versus like kind of a seasoned housewife who is really celebrated as like a pillar of the channel. Yeah. Like that, that's huge. That's, that is, she is, she is a pillar of Bravo as far as I'm concerned, at least. I mean, maybe that's just like our post Bravo con selves talking where like she was really highlighted, especially like the song and at the Bravo is like, I don't know. I just think that's like a real sign of respect and also an indicator of like how the audience responds to her. And I think it's kind of a universal thing the way we're feeling. Totally. I just want to say throughout this season, like be prepared to feel, you know, I'm, I'm saying this to me, to you and to all of us, like this frustration that we're feeling with Robin and sadness, at least for me, like it's going to persist. So just buckle up for that because this Juan Dixon's not changing. No, like we don't, we know how this ends. Like we're still in the same spot we are in this first episode. You right. Know? So. so just warning everyone. Yeah. <laughs> just buckle up. So we just so happened to <laughs> not recap episodes because of BravoCon, the week of like maybe the best episode of Southern Charm ever. And obviously we're not going to do the thing where we go back and recap that. But just a moment of acknowledgement. Holy actual fuck. I mean, so many things going on here. Olivia going up to Taylor's house, then them having the conversation, her leaving because it's just too overwhelming, going to stay with the boys, then Taylor showing up at the boys, then Shep and Taylor going at it, having this huge fight, Shep making that comment, then Shep and Taylor ending up sleeping together. I mean, oh my God. Oh my God. Not to mention, which, you know, it's not the biggest in the scheme of things, but Olivia basically telling Rod, like, it's not you, it's me, which... I think he's a nice guy, but I was waiting for that to happen because listen, and when it comes to Austin, like even a broken clock, right? Twice a day. And he's right when he said, I've seen more chemistry in my fucking chemistry class. Like there was nothing going on there. No, I know. And something I've kind of learned is like, yes, they all jump around from person to person. But another thing that happens is that once you're with someone, it like becomes kind of serious really quickly. And also like there's this sort of dibs. So like, the way we keep saying with Austin, like, were him and Olivia ever really dating? Like, he has a Polaroid of them sitting in the toiletry case. Or 
with Rod and Olivia, I'm like, didn't they have drinks one time? And he's already saying like, I'd like to be exclusive. I don't, I don't know if it's like a Southern thing, if it's an age thing, if it's a TV thing, but like, they really like, you know, they're not wasting any time. No. And, and Olivia knew that. And I think was really honest in saying like, I'm just not there yet. And I think he is a really great guy, but she's, you can tell she's not feeling it. Here's the thing. And this, I, I, what I really wanted to I, like, I was the most, the thing I was the most upset about not doing the episode last week was this one moment when Olivia wakes up the next morning and sees that Taylor is in Shep's bed and she runs into Craig and Austin's room and like sits on Austin's bed and she literally says like, can we just gossip? Like she's so excited to talk about it, which is exactly how I think any of us would have reacted in that moment. It's like, there's nothing better than the, the next morning debrief. And so for the next morning debrief to be then intensified by a piece of information you just gained on your way to the morning debrief, that's like holy grail shit. And what I was feeling is that as much as Olivia has anger towards Austin, lost a lot of respect towards Austin, felt disrespected by him. The list goes on, right? For whatever reason, and I and I truly mean this prior to the tragic passing of her brother. I, I, I'm not saying in light of that. I think that she does, and she doesn't even want to, but she feels a little bit of a pull towards him. I don't know if it's because she feels he's so charming. I don't know if it's their sex was so good. I don't know if it's that she's so attracted to him. Whatever it is, maybe it's a toxic thing. Whatever the reason is, unfortunately, there is a pull there. And so here's Rod, who like in theory is this great guy that's doing everything right. And meanwhile, what does Olivia really want to do? She wants to be closer to Austin. Not saying she wants anything in the long term, but I felt like that one moment, it was... It's not representative of everything because that in that one moment, she really did want to gossip and she would have been just as happy to sit on Craig's bed. Like it wasn't about that. But you can tell she does feel a pull towards Austin. She totally does. And I feel like she acts as though there's like unfinished business, which like Austin acts like that with everybody. So it's hard to tell on that radar. But I think she's not done with him. And she's not, like we said, mad enough at him because she expected this from him. It maybe was like par for the course when she got into things with him that she knew this would eventually happen one day. So it hasn't like hindered her feelings towards him. I, I don't know. I think if they're just, they're not done. And she does just like have a big crush on him. It, it is. That's, and I think that if you were to ask her and she was being her most honest, she would say like, I fucking hate that I feel this way, but I feel this way. Like I think she But doesn't say, everybody feel that way about Austin? I, from what we've seen, yes. I mean, apparently like, they're- Like we feel that way. <laughs> we can't like, say Like fucking hate him. Why? <laughs> like, oh, fucking hate him. He's so many issues. But like everyone has a crush on Austin. Well, I think there's a piece of him that is charming. And, and people that I've spoken to that know him- have validated that. Like right. that, you know, it's not an of excuse, course. but there is a piece of him that is charming. And I think it just, it definitely played a role for her. I mean, also kind of like just to flash. So there's so many things, so many things. And now I have this week's episode. Okay. When they, this week are at Patricia's house, right? And they're talking about Shep and Taylor ending up in bed together. And he explains how they just kissed. She, you know, then wanted to wake him up and he wanted to fall asleep. And they kind of get into it, him and Austin, or it's not really them getting into it. It's more so Shep kind of coming at Austin. And then there's that follow-up conversation with Craig. I'm talking pre-Shep leaving, the conversation between Craig and Shep. I was so happy Craig was saying all of that because it felt to me like he was the only messenger that could deliver that message without Shep losing it. And what he was saying was like, 
entirely valid, that Shep was basically trying to not make a big deal or be overly chill about something that he had every right to not be chill about. And because he didn't admit how he was actually feeling and tried to kind of be the cool, tough guy about it, it was coming out in like these really unhealthy ways. And I I felt on some level, Shep was receptive to that. <sighs> yeah. Wow. These, they like, they're never in a non-complicated situation. No, 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 no. I mean, they're sitting in Patricia's dining room having this like royal meal, which by the way- Beef Wellington. I was going to say, I'm not even a Beef Wellington person and that looked unfucking believable Yeah. Like Those potatoes. Rare, crispy. Like what, the thin sliced potatoes. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Yeah. But anyway, they're, <laughs> they're having this like delicious meal. Meanwhile, Shep is looking at Austin and saying, you know where Taylor's car is? My driveway. And then I'm like, wait, do you know how bizarre and much of a mindfuck it is that we're in this place where Shep is saying to Austin that his ex-girlfriend's car, meaning Shep's ex-girlfriend's car is currently in his driveway and that is meant as a fuck you to his best friend? Whoa. It's so fucked up. Honestly, this show and this friend group could never exist if Austin, Craig, and Shep were not literally like elastic. Like every, they bounce back. Everything rolls off their shoulders. They literally like when they were outside, Shep and Austin are beefing. Like you want to be like me. I'm the man you always are. And then they like go back inside and they're like, Oh, what the fuck happened? Are we beefing? Okay. I guess not. And they move on. Like, I know like it's a stereotype men just, you know, high five and make up whatever, but like they are to another level. Like they are they're Teflon. No, no, it, the, the resilience is out of control. It is like truly water under the bridge. It's insane. Most people would never move on from like one thing that these guys have done or said to each other. And it happens multiple times a day and they just, it's fine, whatever. They just keep it rolling. I think they also, listen, I don't think that, I think they would be like this regardless, but they also, and they've said this in interviews, like they probably wouldn't be doing this show without one another. Like it's really necessary for the experience on the show. And by the way, the show is yeah. their livelihood. I'm not saying they don't have income from other places, specifically Craig. And obviously, you know, Shep has family money and stuff, but like they make a very decent living from this. And so they recognize that cutting each other out completely for things that your average person maybe would, like that's just not serving them the best. So you can't discount the role that that plays, even though I think generally speaking, they probably would have some level of resilience. Right, right. No, yeah. there's so many things, but like, it's just, it's really unbelievable because it's not how n- I think normal friendships operate at all. I mean, to me, best part of the episode, hands down, is Whitney Craig and Austin on the porch smoking the cigar and Austin replicating the night with Taylor. That like really took me out. No, that was, it was too good. Do you believe that they didn't have sex? I, now I'm like, did they? Like, I don't know. I, I go. I just. I, do you think there's a way that they've never had sex ever? No fucking way. I don't know. I, I initially, I know a few weeks ago, I was like, there is absolutely no shot, and I'm not saying that I disagree with that, but now I'm like, just warming up to that idea. Is it possible? I don't know. Right, because like they've already been bouncing around with the story so much, but like that stayed consistent, and I don't know if Taylor's conscience could handle that, but. I also feel like it maybe would have come out in a drunken fit as like a fuck you to Shep kind of thing. Right, right. Because Taylor said to JT, I think it was, which by the way, that's a whole other thing. I mean, he is such a simp for her. Like, 
Oh my I, God, obsessed. I can't, like, that is just, I can't even watch that. But <laughs> if I think it was in that conversation when she said to him, like, yeah, it was kind of getting back at Shep. Like, at this point, if you want to get back at Shep, just say the whole thing. Don't say you kiss, just say, yeah, we fucked. Like, that would, I think, really send him over the edge. So there is a part of me that wonders maybe they didn't. I don't know. I definitely go back and forth on it. But either way, I mean, it's just, that is just something. I think I just feel comforted in knowing that anything that's happened will come out because like you said, it's not in like a confession kind of way. It's in a fuck you kind of way. Eventually, it's always used as like a weapon. So if Austin is hiding that in his back pocket, maybe he's waiting for like the real right moment to drop it or he just feels that much of a loyalty to Taylor. But I don't know. I just know that if it did happen, we will certainly find out. No, it totally will. I mean, that's the beauty of Southern charm. Also, just a more general note on Taylor, and I think it was Austin in his confessional saying that he's had conversations with Taylor where all he wants for her is to really have that respect for herself and not allow you know, certain behavior to take place. And I think it's upsetting for him to watch because I don't even know her. And I feel that at moments it's upsetting for me to watch. And I think she is even admitting like, she's feeling a little lost. I don't think she entirely feels like herself at the moment. And I think that's very representative with a lot of her behavior. You know, like I I almost feel Taylor a few years ago and hopefully Taylor a few years from now would watch this season and be like, who the fuck was that? I I hope so. Yeah. It's, you can tell that's, that's the root of it. There is like a lack of, I don't know if it's a a self worth thing or, or, She's willing to put up with way more bullshit than she should be willing. And it's a very hard thing to explain to someone. She she deserves more, but like, I get it. She gets sucked back in. Yeah. Anyway. Whoa. Doozy. Doozy. A lot of shit going on. Amazing, amazing episode. So happy to be back. So happy to still be thinking about BravoCon. Yeah, I already know we missed like a million things, but it's impossible. I mean, you can't fit it all. I mean, we could have done a whole episode on each episode, so. Yeah. (laughs) It's hard. Okay, well, we love you guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for letting us do this. And we'll see you next week. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like, Generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract, and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like You shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.